What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello and welcome to the Overdue Podcast, Episode 13. I'm Kelly, and with me today are my fellow Madison College librarians, Mark. Hello. The other Mark. Hello. Dana. Hi there. And Christina. Hello. Our special guest today is Madison College Eastern Regional Librarian, Autumn Hall Toon. Hello. We're going to talk to Autumn about science fiction and fantasy authors, and we'll also be doing Waiting in Westeros with Dana and myself some trivial observations with Mark, and our Anything Goes recommendations. Alright, so um, I do a lot of the book ordering through the libraries here at Madison College Library. The librarians choose them and I um, hit hit the purchase button, basically. (laughs) And um, I remember, Autumn, when you first started with... uh, up in Portage as your own um, library and selecting up there. I remember you made a comment about being nervous about picking which titles, and that always struck me as odd because I always thought the titles that you picked were so awesome and kind of like (laughs) all over the place. And um, so I think that you have a really eclectic style of selection that's very unique to yourself. Thank you. uh, Yeah. Anyways, we wanted to bring you on to the podcast to just kind of talk about your reading and science fiction in general and mm-hmm. um, anything else you wanted to share with us. Sure. Um, well, specific to science fiction and fantasy, um, I don't know how much science fiction and fantasy all of you read. I know we have some Game of Thrones people <laughs> definitely within our, our um, members here. Um, but I did not start reading any kind of science fiction or fantasy until I was well into my 20s. I never gave it a shot, and I was kind of thinking about that, and I think because growing up, science fiction books in particular, they were for boys. Mm -hmm. Especially the hard sci-fi, you know, things with spaceships on the covers, um, you know. Star Trek novels, stuff Mm -hmm. like that. That was all pretty readily available, but never had an inkling or any kind of interest in that at all. Um, I think the first author that I got into heavily, because I tend to be a person who, I haven't read everybody at all, but there's certain people who I've read 27 of their books. (laughs) So I'm that type. Um, But I think the first author who I really got into, probably the end of high school, was Margaret Atwood mm-hmm. and she's one of these authors that is kind of interesting because she's definitely a literary fiction author mm-hmm. but she straddles the line between sci-fi, sci-fi quite a bit. Mm-hmm. That kind of got me interested in is there more, are there more women who have written either really real sci-fi or fantasy mm-hmm. or is there any kind of part of this genre that can appeal to me and speak to me? Um, So I know one of the authors that 
I think everybody here has probably heard of, um, but that I wanted to bring up and just kind of open the discussion about is Octavia Butler. Um, so I had never heard of Octavia Butler until after she died. Mm-hmm. She passed away in 2006. Um, she was pretty young, actually. She was in her 50s. Um, but I think ever since then, she's been gaining a lot of momentum and popularity. Mm-hmm. And it's great because she is a diverse female um, author of science fiction. And she was just an amazing writer. Yeah. So I know some of you have read at least one of her books. Parable of the Sower. So what did you guys think of that when you read that for your book club? I loved it. Mm-hmm. I loved the discussion that went with it. I, it was, yeah, it, it, I definitely want to read more of her stuff. And that's not really sci-fi. It's more a dystopian novel. But yeah, I, yeah she, she does write mostly sci-fi, mm-hmm. right? She writes sci-fi and she definitely goes pretty far into sci-fi. She has series that are about aliens Mm -hmm. she has a series um the pattern master series that's i think it's off the top of my head five books long um and it goes into detail about these immortal creatures that look human but they're not human Mm -hmm. um they can do all kinds of things um there's telepathy there's all kinds of um, powers and things like that so mm-hmm. that's science fiction yeah, yeah so definitely. there may not fun. be a lot of spaceships involved in all of her books but definitely science fiction um and definitely really interesting stuff to read i really liked um in the, the parable of the sower the second one was the parable of the talents i believe mm-hmm. um i don't think i read the whole thing but it seemed so prophetic like it seemed like <laughs> right. she was writing from today's newspapers like, right and it, she wrote it in the 90s so that she has definitely yeah. some vision so. yeah i think i first heard about her um there was an author that i followed um he wrote um Oscar Wow, do you know Diaz? He's a Dominican author, and he's taught on science fiction at schools like MIT and stuff. And I remember he had released his syllabus for his class and made it available online. And I think the whole class was built around like world building as being super important to science fiction works. And I remember Octavia Butler being on that list as being just a really good creator of alternative universes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the first time I had heard of her, mm-hmm. which so fairly recently. I think outside of people who read a lot of science fiction, I think maybe she hasn't been that well known mm-hmm. until maybe the last, I don't know, six or seven years or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the book that I always tell people to start with with her is Kindred, 100%. Mm-hmm. If you haven't read Kindred, read it this year for sure. Um, it's not a terribly long book, so it's not a big commitment. It's also not a series, which can be really intimidating with science fiction and fantasy, too. Okay, do I have to read 100 books in a series to get the point of the story? (laughs) Do I have to read 800-page books to get the point of the story? Um, Kindred also really defines her as a writer because although most of her protagonists are African-American women, um, this one is not only... The main character is an African-American woman, but it has to deal a lot with uh, race relations and slavery. Um, In a nutshell, without giving too much of the book away, basically what the plot of the book is is that there's a a woman named Dana, actually, um, and she's, um, this is set in the 1970s, and she is living in Los Angeles, living a normal life, and then one day she's time-traveled back unexpectedly 
to um, the southern United States during the times of slavery. Oh, no. And she basically has this weird bond with this white child, a young boy, and I believe his name is Rufus. And so throughout the book, this happens. It's it's like a sneeze. It just kind of happens, and all of a sudden she's with Rufus. Something really bad has happened, and she has to help him. Mm-hmm. And so it's really interesting for her because she's used to driving a car. Her husband is white. Mm-hmm. She lives in Los Angeles, a really diverse area. Um, and it's not the same as you're black, so you must be a slave. And she has to adapt and go back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely a really challenging book. I, I have often said to people, I think every high schooler should read that book because it's it's just really interesting in the way that it puts modern day times compared with something that really wasn't that long ago in our history and um i don't know i just can't say enough about it so i always say start with that one um like I said, it's not a series, so you don't have a huge commitment. Yeah. And what's the series called about with the aliens? That's Pattern Master. Pattern Master. Yes. See, that's good for the sewer. <laughs> Pattern Master. Right. Pattern Master. Yes. So those were published um, in the 70s and 80s. I will say they're hit or miss. They're not all 100% my favorite books, but there's two in, in the series in particular that are amazing. Yeah. So. All right. Yeah. I'll give it a try. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how I'll do reading a book with the protagonist is the same name as myself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That might be hard. Dana did this and Dana did that. <laughs> um, another um, author that I wanted to um, let people know about, because again, I just don't feel like enough people know about her, um, is Robin Hobb. And this is more on the fantasy side. Um, so Robin Hobb, although the name is androgynous, is actually a woman. Um, her real name is Megan Lindholm. Um, and like Octavia Butler, who we talked about, she's also been nominated for Nebula and Hugo Awards. Mm-hmm. Um, she's been publishing since the 80s, but she's kind of gained more popularity throughout the 90s until now. Um, and in particular, she has one series that's really amazing um, that she wrote as Robin Hobb which is the Realm of the Elderlings series. Um, So this is where you kind of have to put a little bit of time in if you want (laughs) to get into this, Um, sort of like Lord of the Rings or like The Wheel of Time or any of those series because this is 16 books at this point. And I think she's done. I think as far as I know... This is the last book. So I take um, it you haven't finished it yet? I haven't finished okay. it yet, no. It came out this year, so I'm, re- I'm actually reading through it now. Um, but in a nutshell, this is a book that has magical systems in it. Um, it has plot line about royalty in it. Um, it follows one person throughout his entire life. And so we begin when he's six years old, and... The first book in particular, I kind of call Harry Potter for grown-ups because it really has a lot more of an emotional depth than a lot of Harry Potter does, Mm -hmm. but it comes from that same perspective of he's an orphan who has some magical ability, and he has a royal connection as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Robin Hobb in particular, one of the things that she does really well is kind of a slow build. You don't even know half of what you need to know by the first book. Mm -hmm. So it does require a lot of patience, 
but I think she's a great writer and definitely worth the time. Um, particularly if anybody really likes animals, um, the characters tend to have very interesting linked connections with animals where they have sort of a telepathy with an animal. They can't control the animal, but the animal is bonded to them in yeah. a very mm-hmm. special like way. Like a song of ice and fires like that. Though. It has yeah. that element too, yeah. yeah. Great. Mm-hmm. And that's called The Realm of the Underlings? The Realm of the Elderlings. Elderlings. Yeah. Yeah. And the first book is Assassin's Apprentice. Okay. And so... I'd say if you're interested in fantasy and you haven't read it before and you liked Harry Potter, mm-hmm. try out Assassin's Apprentice. It's it's a little bit long, but it does have a good structure to it, and from there you can decide if you're going to go all the way and keep going. <laughs> um, she also has um, a very interesting gender non-conforming character in the books called The Fool. Mm-hmm. And so the middle trilogy in this long series of 16 books... Um, centers a little bit more around the fool and his relationship with Fitz, the main character. And I'd say it's worth going through the first three books so you can get to the second three books <laughs> to spend time with the fool because mm-hmm. the fool is amazing. Great. Cool. Nice. Mm-hmm. I'll have to look into that one because I am a Harry Potter fan. Yeah, yeah right. That's it's awesome. great. It's really great. Sounds really good. All right. So are we ready to move on to our next yeah, topic of discussion? Well, uh, I don't know if everyone has heard, but uh, I think it was on Monday, Amazon made an announcement that they were going to do a television series based on The Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. And so my question to you all is, how do we feel about this? (laughs) Is it necessary? (laughs) And are you going (laughs) to watch? So, um, I don't know. I... The films, you know, they're they're recent, like in the last mm-hmm. what fifteen years, mm-hmm. they were beautiful and just almost flawless. So my question is, why? Why, why would they, you know, spend? I mean, unless it's going to be like an original take on something, right? Yeah. And I I will say that I will watch a whole season of just hanging out in the Shire. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine with me. But you know, you know, can. Can you envision where the story would go, or, mm-hmm. and what characters are they going to use? And I think you're right. It's just that going over this. I have this problem with what is it, Spider Man? That my husband keeps <laughs> like Spider the new Spider Man. I'm like, yeah. is it? But it's the same story. They're not continuing it. Right. They go back to the beginning each and every time. Like, uh, yeah. I'm sorry, no. I know. <laughs> new actor, right? With a, with a different with actor. a different actor. And so, I mean, is that is that what we've gotten into now? Because those you have to admit, those movies are the the bread and butter of yeah. the movie industry now. Do you think some people just like the familiarity of, I know yeah. the story, I just want to see it portrayed a different like, way? Yeah, with different actors mm-hmm. and a different look. I don't know. I, don't know I think it's financially motivated, though, because mm-hmm. um, the article in particular that we looked at that Dana had found said, said why can't we do any of these three stories mm-hmm. um, and I don't remember the names of them off the top of my head because I haven't read them but I have them right here it takes a little work 
to get people interested in something new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas, oh, Lord of the Rings, I like that. Mm-hmm. I'll watch it. That's true. Yeah, so they're Trailers. catering to people that are They've lazy. already bought into it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just, it's already popular, so let's keep going. Yeah. Just like the Spider-Man thing. Yeah. Okay, and I guess the titles, I'll just share them. Um, they had recommended the Inheritance Trilogy by N.K. Um, Jesnian? Jesson? Jemison. Jemison. Um, which I actually have the book, I haven't read it yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it looks great. Mm-hmm. And uh, also the other trilogy, or actually I don't know if it was a trilogy or just a book. Um, the Book of the New Sun by Jean Wolfe. I hadn't heard of that one, but again, that looks good. Mm-hmm. And then the last one was Earthsea by Ursula K. Le Guin. So, yeah, I, um, I guess they are just trying to, you know... Since Game of Thrones is going to end soon, mm-hmm. um, they're just trying to lock into that audience. But, you know, I, I don't know if that audience would... I, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll give it a try. But anybody else? Yeah, I was reading a little bit more on this. Apparently Amazon had some deal mm-hmm. with um, J.R.R. Tolkien's son, who's in his 90s. Wow. Um, I can't remember his name now. Does anybody else remember? Mm-hmm. Um Anyways, um, the son had a bunch of notes and uh, detailed writings and poems that connected to Middle-earth that hadn't previously been published. Mm. So I think they're Mm. going to take this universe that's already established in everybody's hearts and minds and go into a different direction that Tolkien wanted to go into, but he never actually did. Mm. So I think that's the premise. So I'll give it a shot. Yeah. I'll watch it. However, I, I do agree. That's like, come on, we've heard this story before. Like, yeah. there's there's that there. Like, Let's get, a, get get something new. Yeah. Okay, and then just to follow up on that, um, since there are three people uh, in this podcast that are reading the Well of Time, um, welcome aboard, Dana. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mark and I are reading. Uh, we're on the second book. Yes. Yeah. And Dana just started the first one last night. Just last night. <laughs> so, but good news, they, um, uh, it has been picked up as a television series, um, and I'm excited for it because um, the executive producer is his widow, mm-hmm. um, Harriet uh, Ringney, um, which was also his editor. And mm-hmm. he always thanks her profusely in the, the first page, in the dedication page. And also, the showrunner has been chosen. His name is uh, Rafe Judkins. And if that name uh, doesn't mm. sound familiar, it should. He was actually a Survivor contestant on season 11. Oh, my <laughs> And he was a good guy. And uh, he admits to being an avid fan for, for since it came out. And um, he has written for television before. He's written for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, Hemlock Grove, and Chuck. Okay. So I'm excited about that. It, it will probably be be a while before yeah. it gets up and running, but uh, we'll, maybe we'll have finished the series by then. How many books are in the series? <laughs> there are there's 14, but then there's a prequel, so oh, wow. 15. Wow. So and they're long. I'm they just are long. Go and books. say I'm probably not going to be done by then. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. And now it's time for waiting in Westeros. Hello, I'm Dana. And I'm Kelly. And we're Waiting Waiting in in Westeros. Westeros. 
Today, we're on our second stop on our whirlwind tour of the Seven Kingdoms. That's right. Don your finest silks and polish your tourney armor because we're off to the Reach. Just as Dorne is similar to Italy, the Reach is very much like medieval France. It borders five of the Seven Kingdoms far more than any other, giving it economic and military advantages. The Reach is in the southwest of Westeros. It shares borders with Dorne, the Stormlands, and the Crownlands to the east. The Riverlands are to the north, and the Westerlands are northwest. And don't forget a significant coastline with the Sunset Sea on the west and the Arbor to the south. I haven't forgotten the Arbor. That's where the best wines in Westeros come from. Just like the best wines in France come from the Loire Valley. I'm more of a Bordeaux girl myself. Fair enough. Arbor Golds and Arbor Reds are the specialty of this island and are prized by wine connoisseurs all over Westeros. And by the alcoholics, too. Yes, there's a few of those in the series. But we digress. The Reach is the second largest kingdom after the North, the most populous, and the wealthiest. The Reach was founded, according to legend, by Gerald Greenhan, a gardener. He obviously had an eye for a good location to settle. Yeah, it is known for its rich and fertile soil. Considered the breadbasket of Westeros, the Reach grows a variety of fruits, vegetables, grains, and, of course, the flowers that they're famous for. Hey, do you think it would be okay if we called the people of the Reach Reachers? (laughs) (laughs) I don't see why not. I'm sure they wouldn't object. (laughs) All right. So Reachers also have a deep abiding affection for storytelling, music, and jousting tournaments. The Reach is home to many a tale of knights and fair ladies. Not surprisingly, chivalry, chivalry was brought to Westeros first in the Reach. We could talk much and more about knights and knighthood because it's such an overarching motif and obviously very important to George. However, we feel it deserves its own episode, and we look forward to bringing that to you in the future. The Reach is a land of superlatives, the seat of learning, the citadel, the most impressive architecture, the starry sep, the high tower, and castle high garden, and the grandest and most ancient of cities, Old Town. Some of the noble houses are the Tyrells, who rule from Highgarden, and the Tarleys of Horn Hill. All right, let's move on to politics. Gosh, I'm so tired of politics. Do we have to? (laughs) Oh, well, I think it's worth mentioning that those in power have aspirations for more wealth and more power, much as any other region in the kingdom. It's also worth noting that the life for the small folk is pretty good in their reach, as they have plenty of food, a temperate climate, law and order that are intact, and for now, they have peace. That's good to know. I'm always concerned about the small folk. I think it is important to note that there are no scenes that take place in the Reach except for a short visit to Old Town, so we don't have any POVs taking place there. There's still much to learn about the Reach. Kelly, do you have any favorite Reachers? Yes, of course. I'll go with the ultimate best friend in the series, Samwell Tarly. His naming isn't happenstance. This is yet another nod to J.R.R. Tolkien as Samwise Gamgee is Frodo's steadfast companion in The Lord of the Rings. How about you? Any favorites? Well, my favorite isn't a shining example of a great person, but I'm really entertained by the Queen of Thorns, Lady Olenna Tyrell. She's a saucy old lady who speaks her mind. And she's certainly a major player in the Game of Thrones. Agreed. She's great. And she doesn't take any flack from anyone. All right. So did we take in enough tournaments and wine on our visit to the Reach? I'd say so. I had a wonderful time. As did I. Next, we set sail on the Wind Witch from Old Town to Storm's End and the Stormlands, a less hospitable land than the Reach for sure. Wait. 
Don't we have to sail through Shipbreaker Bay to get there? Shipbreaker Bay? Oh, we'll be fine. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time on Waiting in, in Westeros. Westeros. All right, if anybody knows the significance of the Wind Witch, leave a comment on our podcast website for a shout out on our final episode of the year. So now it's time for Trivial Observations with Mark. And as always, we try to connect the Trivial Observations with a theme of the day. So today's Trivial Observations is entitled, She Blinded Me with Science, <laughs> Women of Science Fiction and Fantasy. Oh, great. There are five questions and a short trivial observation at the end. Okay. All right. The first question. According to Brian Aldiss, who was a longtime science fiction writer, vice president of the H.G. Wells Society, and one of the 33 grand masters of science fiction, what novel written by a woman in 1818 was the first major science fiction novel? Frankenstein, Mary Shelley. Mary Frankenstein, and he's not the only person, uh, but he was one that I could verify. <laughs> so, um, yeah. All right. I didn't realize it was that early. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's old. And that was she like wasn't even really 20 perfect. years old. I know. I think right? she was so, 19. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. Speaking of the Grand Masters of Science Fiction, um, the Grand Masters of Science Fiction are awarded by um, the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America. And so far, there have been 33 named with the honor. Of the 33, how many are women? Oh boy. I'm gonna go like two. I'll go with three. Oh gosh, I was gonna say eight. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Five. I can think of one for sure, so I'll say one. Oh. Okay. Oh. Um, Mark was the closest. Um, it's six okay. altogether. Okay. Um, now as a follow up, can you name oh. any of the six? Um, Ursula Le Guin. Yeah, yeah. is one. Yeah. Yep, definitely. Octavia Butler. Sadly, it's uh, not, not on yet. the list yet. At least not yet. Hmm. See, I'm too generous. Yeah. <laughs> Is Atwood on there? No. Um, you know, it should it's a be. genre vendor. Uh, yeah. No, but um, okay. it should be on the list and isn't yet. Um, Marion Zimmer Bradley? Again, uh, should be. Mm. Um, very definitely, but it's not. Okay. Wow. Hmm. Wow. We're yeah. stumped. Okay. Yeah. Um... Andre Norton, uh, which was uh, obviously she took uh, um, tricky. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Ursula again, mm-hmm. um, Anne McCaffrey, right? Mm-hmm. Connie Willis, Jane Yolen, mm-hmm. and the last one. I have a feeling I'm going to mispronounce it, so feel free to uh, <laughs> give me abuse for this. But uh, C.J. Cherry, or is it's. Uh, her last name is spelled Cherry with an H at the end, so is it like Shara? Oh, I've seen the name. I think you might have it right, but I'm not 100%. Uh, yeah. yeah, I thought, at least from the pronunciations, I saw it look just like Cherry, but just with an H. But okay. she's the other one. Okay. One argument for keeping women out of the science fiction club for years <laughs> is that they tend to write soft science fiction as opposed to hard science fiction. And... 
with um, in the discussion of soft science fiction and hard science fiction. Hard science fiction is taking um, hardcore science facts and mm. working them into the narrative, uh, like the recent Martian by Andy Weir, where yeah. um, you have a lot of detail in <laughs> botany and all sorts of yeah <laughs> sciences. Whereas soft science fiction doesn't take as much time with that and spends more time on sociological issues. Okay. Anyway, according to a list put out by Technology Review Magazine rating the best hard science fiction books of all time, only one of the ten books was written by a woman. And I'll give you a clue. It's one of the six women from the previous I, since I haven't read any of them, I don't mm. know. No, I'm not sure. Tricky, mm-hmm. tricky. Okay. Uh, it was C.J. Cherry. Uh, okay. uh, in 1988, a book called Cy Teen, uh, oh. something about um, uh, like a cyborg um, teenager trying to recreate a personality of an actual human being, not just um, physically, but also, um, but apparently it checked the uh, hard science fiction. Checkbox. So, okay, who was the first science fiction writer to receive the MacArthur Fellowship, uh, also known as the Genius Grant, an award given for creativity in the arts in 1995? That was Octavia Butler. Very good. <laughs> hey, that was indeed that Octavia Butler. Yep. So, all right. And the final question today. This professor of mechanical engineering at Purdue University, who recently won the 2017 American Society of Mechanical Engineers Woman Engineer of the Year Award, that's actually uh, tough to say, um, (laughs) developed a passion for science from reading many science fiction and fantasy books as a child and teenager. Gosh. By the way, this uh, professor at Purdue um, has a research center at Purdue that is named after her. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I do. I do not know. Yeah. I want to sound smart. (laughs) We give up. Okay. The answer is Amy Marconet. Daughter of oh, no. Donna Marconi. Uh, well, you yeah. know, I blame Donna for that because she should have been bragging more. Yeah. No, she, she, has, downplays. Uh, she yeah. has a center named after her? Yes, it is um, the Marconi Thermal and Engineering Conversion Lab no. that she actually gets a lot of uh, good government grants mm-hmm. from. So um, awesome. she has really made it. Yeah. And just to let the audience know, Donna Marconi is one of our librarians mm-hmm. here. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and I did uh, fact check with uh, Donna, and uh, okay. Donna did verify that um, uh, Amy was constantly reading science fiction and fantasy, sure. and definitely, uh, as well as her brothers, and definitely uh, helped in developing a passion for awesome. science. Oh, very great. Yeah. I get that one. Yeah. So with uh, with that, then the trivial observation for this week is that. There have been many studies, uh, and many recently, that show the value of adding speculative fiction to curriculums to generate more interest in science fields. Speculative fiction, as in science fiction and fantasy, we're all familiar with the term STEM, science, Mm -hmm. technology, engineering, and math. 
there's also, as the, the panel knows, STEAM, which is science, technology, engineering, and arts. Arts and math, which is unfortunately losing STEAM mm -hmm. and kind of losing the battle to STEM, which is, um, I think, unfortunate yeah. uh, because I think there is value to reading and reading things like science fiction or fantasy that stretch our imaginations. Agreed. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. All right, well, thank you, Mike, for stump stumping us again. Okay. And now it's time for our Anything Goes recommendations. I am going to recommend, uh, let me get my notes here, um, a novel uh, by George R.R. R. Martin, who just doesn't get enough attention on this podcast. No, absolutely not. Yeah. So, the, very few people know that before he was a, um, a fantasy writer, he was a pretty good sci-fi writer, and he wrote a book, it came out in 1986, called Tough Voyaging. Has anybody read it? No, never heard of it. It takes place um, about thousands of years from now, and Earth is actually just a distant memory. It's even kind of a mythology at this point. And so everybody's in spaceships, and uh, they're going around. And Tuff uh, is a kind of like a, a Han Solo-type character, except he's not handsome. But... Um, but he is a loner, and he travels around with his cats, who all have very Aww. interesting, significant names. You got me there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very sweet. And um, he stumbles upon a deserted bioengineering spaceship. So then he decides he's going to travel the cosmos and help uh, planets that are environmental um, trouble. And... Um, you know, it's just, I can't believe he had 1986, and it's like, wow, we're dealing with these things. And I, I, it turns out that, um, of course, our uh, the, it's always the most intelligent creatures that are actually the cause of the environmental problems. And um, it, it, it makes the people on the planet, they have to make tough decisions and sacrifices. And uh, anyway, and it does have the, the George R. R. Martin sense of humor and the sweetness. Um, yeah. Tough and his cats, and um, there's also another interesting character named Molly, and um, yeah, I recommend it highly. Okay. All right, and then next we have Christina. Um, so trying to keep keep with the same theme. Um, I think I like you, Autumn. I did not read hardly any um, science fiction growing up, but the one exception, and I I'm gonna mention it just because I feel like. Most of us know his the movies based on the books really well, but we might not have gone back and read the originals. Is our books by uh, Michael Crichton? Mm, um, books yeah. like um, is it Sphere and yeah. Dra even Jurassic Park? I read that entire gobbled it up when I was did about he, twelve years did old. Did he read the Andromeda Strain? The Andromeda Strain, which was, was good so yeah. good, so yeah. freaky. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think that would be a good one to go back and reread or to pick up if you haven't read it before. Yeah, good choice. And Michael Crichton, wasn't he a producer of ER yes. as well? Oh, yeah. yep. Which I kind of started watching on TV for a few minutes the other day and remembering about how I used to watch that every week mm -hmm. when I was growing up. Yeah, true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, his stories are always really engaging. Yeah. All right, Dana. Okay, so my recommendation is um, a TV show that probably everybody that's listening and everybody that's here <laughs> has watched already, but I'm going to do it anyways, and uh, 
It's uh, Stranger Things. Mm. Um, (laughs) It's so much fun. Um, Not something that I can watch when my kids are awake, so I don't. I'm not caught up yet. But anyways, it's just really enjoyable. Um, So much speculation, and I love that there's like the protagonists are little kids and they're big science geeks and yeah, fantasy geeks too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, anyways, that's something my husband and I are watching, and we really enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, good recommendation. Yeah. All right, the other Mark, what would you recommend for us? Yeah, and I'm not sure I'm sticking with the theme, but I could argue that it is. Um, (laughs) I would uh, like to recommend children's stories in general, but then In the Night Kitchen Mm -hmm. um, by Maurice Mm -hmm. Sendak in particular. Um, A lot of people are into where the wild things are, Um, but In the Night Kitchen is kind of fun because it's controversial that's fun Um, (laughs) but in addition you know it sort of deals with this whole child going into another world and experiencing things that one couldn't really explain to your parents Mm -hmm. but then really shouldn't have to and I think things like where the wild things are in the night kitchen authors like Marie Sendak set our kids up to sort of question real-world experiences and be open to stories like science fiction and fantasy. Um, I would hate if, like, all we had to offer our kids were, like, the Dick and James stuff. Right. So I'm really happy that we have kind of, like, weird people to come up with weird stories. (laughs) If you ever see an interview with Marie Sendak, um, he's weird in, like, a cool way. Yeah. Maybe slightly... Oddball. Yeah, right. It might be sketchy for some people, but for me, it's like, oh, yeah, I really like that guy. It's, it's really weird. Um, so, Marie Sendak in, in the Night Kitchen. All right. Cool. Great. The weird things are interesting to kids. Yeah. Yeah, right? Look yeah. at Shel Silverstein. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's very wacky. Yeah. Little doll. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. And they're not even politically correct, and that's a no. whole other argument, right? <laughs> Probably but, not. But if you go back to Shel Silverstein and you sort of read some of his stuff, you know, it's, it's it's on the edge, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you're right. Kids, mm-hmm. we don't trust them enough to to experiment with those edges. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. A couple of weeks ago in my yoga class, um, my yoga instructor was. Um, she often quotes, you know, uh, the yoga sutras. But that day it was um, Shel Silverstein poems. Mm-hmm. So it was very funny. Yeah. <laughs> so now it's time for our special guest, Autumn. What do you recommend? Okay, um, I wasn't really planning for this to be on the theme, but it's a little bit on the theme. Um, I have a podcast mm-hmm. called Reply All, and this is a podcast that is roughly on the theme of technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is journalism-based, um, but they do a lot of podcasts about things like social media, um, different scams, um, oh. different weird quirky things that happen online um, but it verges into human interest for sure if you like um, this american life you would love reply all okay. it's very well done um they have about 100 episodes right now so if you haven't started yet you can go through them <laughs> and um catch up for sure um a couple that i'd recommend that i wrote down um are number 82 hello the two hosts take calls from strangers for 48 hours straight (laughs) you know i've heard about this and they're they're um definitely at their wits end by the end of it but i think they're they're emulating someone else who had done this online 
Um, and then there's another one, um, number 102, Long Distance. And this one in particular, I've told several people about it. Um, one day, one of the hosts gets a scammy kind of phone call saying, your iCloud account has been compromised. Please call da-da-da-da-da. Mm-hmm. And um, they try to charge him hundreds of dollars to supposedly uninfect his computer, which they say has a virus. Um, long story short, he winds up doing some extended investigations, including kind of harassing these people and <laughs> calling them over and over. Um, and in the follow-up podcast, um, the host goes to India no. to um, confront the call center oh. employees wow. that are behind this scheme that takes $400 from your mom all the time. Right. Yeah. Um, so definitely Reply All is a great podcast to start with if you Fine. want a new one and you're interested in yeah. technology and social media. About how long are the uh, episodes? I think they're about an hour, but some mm-hmm. of them might be shorter. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Great. We would like to thank Autumn for being our guest, and you're welcome back anytime. You want to talk about more books or anything? Thanks. Um, please join us next time on the Overdue Podcast. Um, it will be our last podcast of the year, and our topic will be the best of 2017. Uh, thank you all for listening. This has been a production of Madison College Library's Creator Studio.